Bitcoin fixes the money, the Beef Initiative fixes the food and nutrition. Step into some new awareness that incorporates some much needed food intelligence into your life. This is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's vision. Today we have Charles Mayfield of Mayfield Pastures and Pharaoh Skin Products. He's out of Tennessee. Uh, he's got a hell of a journey that he's going to uh, tell us about, kind of where he's been and where he's going. And he's going to bring some insight into some regenerative living, ranching, and then how you can leverage the regenerative ranching model into new products new services and how we're going to leverage the cow as much as possible and how we're going to leverage all animal protein in ways that maybe we don't understand yet. How you doing today, Charles? Slim, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man, uh, it, it's been fun talking with you these last couple of months. You know, we kind of came across each other just by mutual friends. I was getting into the the harvest of deception and kind of looking at the beef initiative. And you've brought a lot of uh, information and intelligence, you know, to me and to my awareness. And, you know, it's been a really good conversation. And I, want, I just want to throw a lot of respect your your direction, let everybody know that uh, you've helped me a lot. And so hopefully people will listen to this and so by saying that, um, let's let's know where you come from, kind of how you got into Tennessee, into ranching, and then, you know, kind of give us a quick outline of where you're going with your, your new product line. And then we'll kind of break down a couple of stages of that. Yeah, happy to. So uh, I, I'm a native Tennessean, uh, born and raised in East Tennessee, little town called Athens. It's about halfway between Knoxville and Chattanooga. Um, Migrated south from there, ended up in the big city of, of Hotlanta, uh, went to college there and stayed for a number of years. And um, my, my farming, you, you Texans call it ranching. We call it farming over here. Same thing. Um, <laughs> my farming exploits really started. So in about 2008, nine. I got introduced to uh, the CrossFit scene. This is pretty early East Coast CrossFit scene. Uh, for those listeners that don't know, that's sort of a workout, you know, workout protocol. And uh, pretty quickly got introduced into sort of looking at nutrition. I had never really paid much attention to it. Uh, you know, you just sort of, we're about the same age. You just sort of eat and it's all good. But um uh, my, uh, I got into uh, nutrition, started exploring uh, the, the paleo diet, um, got, to, got to be good friends with a guy named Rob Wolf. He, he'd be a really good guy for you to talk to at some point. We'll, we'll make that happen. And um, so uh, my, my ex-wife and I wrote a, a couple of cookbooks, co-authored some cookbooks together uh, in, the, in the paleo scene. And the paleo, in fact, we've talked, I'll be in Austin later this year for uh, paleo FX, um, end of April. So we started with this, this will be their 10th year. They skipped a couple cause of COVID, but, um, in the early years of paleo FX, you know, a lot of people were arguing over protein, carbs, and fat, you know, what, get your macros and your micros, right. But about a couple years in the dialogue there really shifted toward food sovereignty, uh, food access, um, healthy food and regenerative agriculture. And so I got introduced to some <clears throat> really cool organizations, um, Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, 
Uh, got to meet Joel, Joel South and a polyface, uh, Will Harris of, of White Oak Pastures. These are some of the folks I'm uh, working to introduce you to and, and everything with the Texas Beef Initiative. And um, really, you know, I, I didn't grow up farming. Um, my family has a, has a history in, in uh, the dairy business. But by the time I came of age, uh, our, our family business had really transitioned away from dairy farming and more into dairy uh, bottling. And so I, um, it was never really something that popped up. I was always an outdoors kid, but all of a sudden, you know, and I know you, you've got the same sense. There was like this welling up of like, I got to get outside and get my hands dirty. So uh, in 2016, moved back home to East Tennessee and started a very small, still, still small, um, regenerative farm, uh, producing animal protein. So we, uh, Mayfield pastures is, um, we do beef, pasture, beef, pork, chicken, eggs. Um, the, the farm I'm, um, working on right now also has uh, bees. So we do some honey, uh, we'll do a batch of turkeys, you know, holiday turkeys every year. And, um, I I've loved it. I I've got two young kids. They're now seven and nine. And, um, you know, they've, they've been uh, with me every step of the way. Uh, really awesome to see them interact with the animals and understand where their food comes from. You know, that's what we can get more into that, that bit, that problem these days we're so disconnected, but, um, sure. but yeah, I service, uh, I have about, I'd say about 40 to 50 customers. Um, a lot of them friends, you know, at this point, probably half of them are, are friends and, they're all friends, but half of them were people I knew at the beginning and the other half have been sort of referrals along the way. And we do a monthly food drop. I go to Atlanta, which is about a two and a half hour drive. I go to Atlanta once a month. I go to Chattanooga once a month. And then folks can come to the farm almost any time and pick up, you know, an order. So we, um, we're doing that. And, uh, then, sort of transitioning into, so it's still a, still a very small farm. Um, about two years ago, I had a really horrific uh, sunburn incident um, for a variety of reasons. I ended up being up for about 48 straight hours working on the farm and just, you know, forgot to cover my skin too much and put any sunscreen on or whatever the case may be. And I got, I got cooked, man. And so came home. Uh, at the time, I was I was in the middle of the divorce, so the the house was empty and medicine cabinet was empty as well. So I, I've got this cooking background uh, through the cookbooks, and so I had a jar of lard in my refrigerator, and I thought, well, why not lather that stuff on and see if it works? And um, long story short, it it was unbelievable. Uh, my sunburn uh, felt um, immediately better. And in a couple of days, it was gone. I only put the, the, the cream on, the lard on twice. Sunburn was gone in a couple of days. And that was, I thought that was pretty cool. The, the uh, light bulb moment came over the next couple of weeks. I started paying attention to my skin. And, you know, Slim, you, you know this. If you get sunburned, you eventually peel. And I never peeled. And so that was shocking to me. And so I, I, I started doing some research, you know, into animal fat based creams and, 
and various things. And, and the interesting thing, and, and I know we're going to get deeper into this, but the interesting thing that, that came up was I had been living and viewing the world from a nutritional standpoint through this paleo lens, which is, which is, you know, read the ingredients. If you can't pronounce something or you don't know what it is, you probably shouldn't eat it. And that had served me extremely well. Uh, I probably coached, uh, you know, gosh, a thousand different people through a paleo, you know, nutritional intervention. And I, I can't, I can't name one situation where people didn't see landmark improvements in their health. So I took that lens and I started looking into, into skincare and some of my early experimentation with creams was what I, what I would deem now sort of the industrial cream manufacturing. So you take water and you emulsify it with fat and you make a cream. And so I didn't have any preservatives. So I was just making this stuff and I could never keep it from going rancid after about a week. And so at some point, you know, you start digging into it and reading labels and you're like, what, what are all these chemicals? What are all these things, you know, these preservatives and, and more importantly, what are their impacts on the human body? And so I ejected the water from my formula, started experimenting some more with, um, you know, just, just full fat. Uh, I brought in a little bit more tallow. Um, I know, you know, beef. So tallow for your listeners comes from beef. It's the rendered, rendered kidney fat of beef. And then I'm using lard and leaf lard. So lard is the rendered back fat of a pig and leaf lard is the rendered kidney fat of a pig. And so they all have, they all have varying degrees of viscosity. And so this is where we're able to get a really creamy, um, you know, the nice texture to our creams, but more importantly, we don't have to put any, any preservatives in it. Um, I'm sure most of your listeners have eaten bacon before and, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you finish cooking the bacon and you pour the drippings in a jar and they sit on your kitchen counter for a month or two months or three months. And then it, they never go rancid. You know, you, you, you end up using it again. Well, this is because you, there's nothing in that fat that mold and bacteria can can feed on you know and that's what that's really where the water comes in and so we've got a we've got the first pharaoh pharaoh.life is the website we have the first lard based full fat um skin moisturizer we've got a, a one for your face one for your body and then i've got an elixir uh that's got some cbd in it for sort of reducing inflammation from the inside out and um but more importantly, we're getting all the chemicals out. Right. And, and, you know, this is, it, I like to tell people it's not so much what's in my cream, although it, it helps. It's also what's not in my cream. Sure. Well, let's go there real quick because we got a lot to uncover here. You've, you've got plenty. This is going to be more than one podcast over the series here. But one thing that you and I had talked about, and it, it kind of, it kind of ties into everything that I'm doing with food intelligence. And I'll, I'll, I'll just throw out of here. You said something, um, you said, uh, you know, our skin is our second stomach and you know, that, that kind of rings true and it's a good way to kind of start a conversation. 
by saying that, you know, let's talk about chemicals. You just talked about chemicals. Well, one of my focuses, of, of course, is the chemicals in the food industry and how the chemical companies basically control everything that you consume. Well, you brought up a pretty good point about, you know, we, we know FDA, we know USDA, we know all the rules, regulations, everything that you have to follow from federal to, to state, to county, everything. You've gone through this process. One thing that you brought up is the amount of freaking chemicals in our skincare products. I guess you might have said that it, it basically is even more than what we're putting in our food as well. Oh, so so the regulations, uh, the FDA regulations around skincare are a little, little more loosey-goosey. Obviously, it's not a consumable product it, per se. You're not eating it. However, and again, this gets back to this, the skin being our second stomach, your body is consuming it, albeit through a different portal, right? And sure. uh, just, to, just to put some perspective on things, the list of prohibited chemicals uh, by the FDA in the United States of America in skincare, I think there's just over 100 prohibited chemicals uh, for skincare use. Most of the regulations really are around labeling, making sure all of your ingredients are on there. And then uh, medical claims, you know, you can't, unless you've done a double blind placebo test or whatever, whatever, you can't make any claims about, about your product improving any condition. And so to, to give you some perspective, um, and this, this relates back to food, I, I'll do the food thing first. So you have the European Union over across the pond and they had their own you know, nutritional uh, protocols. So just, just taking something like glyphosate, which is Roundup for, for your listeners, the, uh, the parts per million level of tolerance for glyphosate in the U.S. is like 10, maybe 15 times higher than the EU. Now that's in our food, right? The FDA has just over 100 prohibited chemicals for skincare, the European Union has over 1,300, right? So just, yeah. just putting that in perspective. And, um, and a lot of these, a lot of these, I mean, formaldehyde, there, there's one. That, so that is a chemical that is allowed in skincare, right? This is an embalming agent that we allow in our skincare. That's just, just one. But the, um, and I'm doing a ton of research on this right now. We've talked about maybe putting a, a couple of articles together for your, for your readers. Um, but the thing that's, that, that's most concerning is that is the hormone dysregulation that comes from the absorption of these chemicals through the skin. And, you know, to give, to give everyone, to, to paint the, the picture here. So I need everyone listening to understand this. Your gastrointestinal tract is outside of your body. Okay, something goes in your mouth, down your throat, into your stomach, into your small intestines, then the large intestines. That is um, akin to a tunnel through a mountain, right? So it's not part of the mountain, it's a tunnel through. And we've got these really smart mechanisms, you know, especially in the small intestines for in a healthy gut to keep bad stuff out and pull good stuff in, right? And so, you know, you've got all these conditions, small bacteria. Um, overgrowth and intestinal overgrowth and things like that. You've got, you've got it. You can have an unhealthy gut, but in a, in a healthy GI tract, you're, you're effectively keeping the, 
the, the bad stuff out. And for anyone that's ever eaten something that didn't agree with them, you understand there are other mechanisms in place to exit said things from your body in a yeah. <laughs> volatile fashion. Um, that's not the case with the skin, right? And, you, you know, well, and, and backing up, you've also got this highly acidic environment. I mean, there's all sorts of mechanisms in, in our gastrointestinal tract to help protect and break down things so that when they do assimilate and metabolize into our body, they're, they're properly broken down and vetted and whatever the case may be with the skin. That's not the case. You know, the minute it absorbs through the skin, um, you got a problem because it's in it's, there's no, there's no, they've made it past the bouncer. You know, the, it's not the best analogy, but you know, most of your listeners have probably had poison ivy at some point, you know, that's something that, came in contact with the skin it's an oil right poison ivy the the plant itself secretes an oil which is again the foundation of most skin creams and next thing you know you've got this this uh fairly uh robust reaction um on your skin and so this idea of the second stomach um coincidentally your skin is your largest organ Uh, you know a lot of people don't sure necessarily know that and so, yeah, it's it's a it's a real problem. Uh, the chemicals that are allowed in our skincare um, are 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 a real problem, it, especially when you start talking about you know our youth and hormone dysregulation. And I, and I mean, Slim, I've looked at a bunch of labels, and it's all a regurgitation of the same crap. It's seventy five percent water, twenty percent fat, and you know five percent emulsifier coupled with a whole bunch of preservatives, you know, the, your parabens, your formaldehyde, your, um, you know, a lot of these are petroleum based now, you know, petroleum um, industry has a lot of various um, byproducts. And so, you know, the skincare industry, as well as the food industry, which I know you're aware of, have found uses for all of these byproducts. And I, I don't know that they really have, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know that they really have the health of the end user in mind when they make these (laughs) concoctions that we eat or spread all over our skin. Well, yeah, I mean, we just won't even go there. But uh, as far as the is, you know, skincare. Who's the number one person that uses skincare in the United States? Um, women. Yep. Okay. Uh, what do you want to tell women about skincare right now? What What was one thing that they should take away without you having to go into a big thing about skincare that they probably have never heard? Maybe they have heard. They don't understand. What is something that is crucial, not because you're trying to sell a product, but because you've actually put the time in to understand the science and everything that's transpired? I'm going to tell it to the women, Slim, but I really mm-hmm. want I really want the men to listen. Okay. Let's start there. One of the most ubiquitous ingredients is parabens in skincare. Parabens. It's a, it's a, I believe it's a petroleum derivative. Anyway, it, it is a hormone signaling and dysregulating compound when it gets in the body and it affects estrogen. And so I, I, I certainly want to tell the women that. Uh, because they're a little bit more queued up on on estrogen signaling stuff, but I want to make sure the men hear that because um, you know 
we want to make sure we're not dysregulating our estrogen the wrong way either. So, yeah, that we'll, we'll stop right that. there. What what happens whenever we regulate our estrogen like that? I I'll I'll just I'll just lead off with that. I, I spoke with somebody that has a lot of intelligence on testosterone tests for teenage boys in the United States, and they are coming in consistently around two hundred. They should be over a thousand. And so let's tie that into what you just said, and then we'll go from what you're saying into the food. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm 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 not a doctor, uh, nope. uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it more thirty thousand foot view. But I would say, well, the low T thing is a combination of stuff, obviously, in in young boys, and that is that is a really scary thing. I'm gonna just make it. Um, just hormones in general, you know, men and women both have estrogen. They both have testosterone clearly in different ratios. This is, this is, this is biology one one The point I want to make is uh, skincare uh, is, is ubiquitous at every age. You know, if, if they're youth, you know, uh, uh, my, I have a seven year old daughter. She's not using skin moisturizer very much, but in the summertime, you know, it's like you got to put on your sunscreen, right? So she's still putting some form of cream and sunscreen is just as bad as the rest of them. But the point is, is the one thing we don't want to do is dysregulate our hormones, albeit through this, you know, nefarious compound that our body really doesn't, it isn't designed to deal with. And so whether you're a young kid, you know, prepubescent or puberty, or you're a, an aging person, uh, you know, women dealing with menopause in later ages or earlier, you know, you're hearing a lot of trends in earlier menopause development, um, you know, and obviously, I mean, we're, we're about the same age. Low testosterone is, is the big thing too. Uh, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that. Like we we, we really just don't want to monkey with this stuff through um, artificial compounds, right? Well, and those artificial compounds, a lot of them basically just get renamed and maybe reused and reinserted through the to the food you know supply. Um, you know, soy, soy. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same compound. Everything that they're doing with meat in general, with protein in general. You know, they're really hijacking pure animal protein nutrition out of our out of our lives for one but we're adults we need to make those decisions but what they're really uh skillfully doing and strategically doing is eliminating animal protein out of our children's diets and they're doing it through the public public school systems they're doing it through every product that we buy through supermarkets and through the industrial food complex knowing that you know you knowing your nutrition background and everything, how are you looking at the state of your children right now as far as their protein, their their health and everything, and something that you can kind of share with the public because you're so close to it? They want to know, hey, how can I how can I um, take back my the nutrition for my children? Well, I mean, first of all, fat is delicious. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, animal fat is delicious. Animal animal fat is absolutely scrumptious. You put a little salt on it, and and you've got a you've got the perfect food as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, it's it's going to be different for everybody. You know, if your kids are in public school, 
Um, I know it takes a little bit of time to try and pack their lunch. Um, you know, I, I can speak directly to, you know, I, I mentioned my family historically has been in the dairy business and school milk. You know, if you just look at it, you can't even get 2% milk in a school anymore. It's all this skim, low fat, nasty stuff. I don't know how anyone could ever drink that. But um, I mean, it's 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 educating your kids. And, you know, you just got to you got to be consistent. Um, especially with the kids, you know, you got to let them know that this is good. Um, you know, my son, my, my daughter's a little bit of a vacuum. She'll eat almost anything. My son's a little bit more, uh, particular in his, uh, in his dietary pursuits, but, um, he, we, fatty pork, that's his favorite, favorite thing to eat. And so I, I make sure I got plenty of pork chops, you know, nice, quarter to a half inch fat cap on that thing. Um, I do a lot of slow cooking where the, where the fat can actually, you know, you're rendering some of the fat, you know, braising and things of that nature. Slow, uh, low, uh, what am I trying to say? Slow cookers are great. Uh, you know, they got these instant pots now that can turn a, a frozen roast into a delightful dish in, in uh, a couple hours. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I I'm, I'm distinctly capable due to me having this farm of showing my kids their food every day and getting them involved in that process. Now, for someone that doesn't have a farm, I would say it's a really cool experience to get your kids out and, and have them meet their food that, you know, I mean, go visit a farm. It's, it's not hard to find. Um, you know, we've got this amazing internet now. And so you can hop online and sort of try and figure out and, and, you know, for farmers like me, I, there's a lot of us out there, small farms, and we welcome people to come out. I, I entertaining kids on my farm is probably the most fun thing I do. Uh, but I, I would say it starts there. It starts like introducing them to the idea that food doesn't come from a grocery store, you know, and, um, and, you know, getting more animal fat back in their diet. Um, it is absolutely pastured, you know, animal fat is, is one of the healthiest things to eat, um, period. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what everything is. That's what the beef initiative is. You know, I'm leading with cows because I'm in Texas. Uh, but as far as getting our kids closer to animal protein, what does that entail? Well, that entails going to visit a rancher or farmer that entails understanding that food doesn't come from the supermarket. It's just that education level that, you know, is, is it's there, you know, it, it is there. I mean, we still have programs, we have a 4-H, we have all kinds of stuff, but there seems to be a true detachment from food. You know, what is food? What is, what is the true source of the seed of the nutrition? And so, you know, it, it's really cool because I get a lot of people contacting me wanting to know your type of lifestyle. You know, they come across, they, they don't know where to get started. You brought up somebody that, um, you know, that I follow a lot and then that hopefully one of these days I'll be able to have on the podcast, you know, Will with uh, White Oak Pastures. Yep. You brought him up kind of in the beginning with me and it's amazing how they do everything out there in Georgia. You want to talk about kind of your relationship because I think he's helped advise you, you know, kind of get to where you are right now and how you network with him to obtain that education, maybe that you were missing or a direction or a compass to look at, a, you know, a guiding light. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Yeah, I, sure. I've uh, I've known Will for a number of years. Um, so they're White Oak Pastures uh, for your listeners. They're down in Bluffton, Georgia. I I would I would say uh, I would say from a mentoring standpoint, I've probably worked more closely with Joel Salatin at okay. uh, at Polyface, and and I know we're in an email exchange with Joel to hopefully get him on here as well. But but to to talk about Will Will's story is is fascinating. So he was a um, you know. Uh, he was a uh, Georgia University of Georgia ag school trained, you know, conventional beef guy in South Georgia, um, you know, similar to probably some of the guys you run across in Texas, you know, went through all the proper schools and systems and everything. And, you know, he, he had an epiphany. Uh, gosh, it's probably been 15, 20 years ago. It just wasn't penciling out anymore. You know, all of the uh, grain you're shipping in and all of the hormones and antibiotics you're having to give the animals because you're, you're not feeding them the natural diet. So they get sick and, and, and selling into, uh, which I know a lot of your, your contacts in Texas are doing this. And this is the case in Tennessee too. A lot of these guys are selling into the industrial feed, uh, industrial, uh, beef market. And so they're, you know, they're one, two, three, four steps removed from the end buyer. They have no price control. And so he made a huge leap. Uh, I, you know, I credit Will for doing this many years ago and just cut the whole thing off and went to a regenerative model, a grass finished model. You know, it took a couple years to to get get his feet under him. And of course, all of his neighbors are poking fun at him the whole time, probably still do. But Will represents, you know, Will's an interesting story because he represents uh, a model. So I, I tell people this all the time. I think Will's Will's probably as big as you could ever get doing farming regeneratively, right? So he's got his own on-farm uh, USDA certified uh, abattoir for red meat and a separate abattoir for poultry. And for, for your listeners that don't know, the, the USDA, you have to keep them separate. You can't process chickens and 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 you can't process white meat and red meat in the same facility. So he got some grants from the state a number of years ago and and uh, scaled up. And I don't know how many people they feed. You know, they were they are were and are, you know, one of the bigger suppliers to Whole Foods on the East Coast for, you know, regenerative, regeneratively raised uh, meat. And and gosh, the number of species he's got on his farm, you know, he was a beef guy. Now they've got lamb and goat and, you know, chickens and turkeys and egg layers and and pigs. And I mean, it's it's for your listeners, if you're ever in South Georgia, he's got little cabins you can rent. I go down there once a year and spend a couple of days and just walk around and you know, get hope usually get a chance to visit with Will. You know, in the last couple of years, they started doing solar. So they, they they partner with a group out of Nashville and they're doing these solar farms. And Slim, they're grazing underneath the solar panels with with sheep. So yeah. you don't have to mow. I mean it's it's fascinating what what you know Will's uh he he's an interesting guy because and we'll we'll be talking to him soon. Um right. he uh he 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 likes to take risks. I love it about him. I mean, he's taken a bunch of risks in in his lifetime. Uh, he's got a multi generational. You know, this is a problem in farming in general. You know, once you scale up and, and get industrial, what you see is 
the generations behind you end up leaving the farm because there's not enough revenue to support a multi-generational family business. And, you know, we've got a real problem with farming in this country right now. I think the average age of the farmer is well over 60 years old. And, um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to attract someone to an industrial model. You don't set your price. You know, you've got to you've got all these added inputs of chemicals and fertilizers. And, you know, just the list goes on. And so he's really ejected himself from that system. And, I, you know, I think it was the best decision he's ever made. He, they produced a ton of beef, pork, chicken, turkey, eggs. And they're fee- they're a, they're a food stuff. I mean, they're sure they're huge. Well, I mean, they, you can't argue with the success. I mean, if you just even go to their website, you'll you can spend a day on that thing. <laughs> you know, looking at everything and following those rabbit holes that he's you know kind of helped helped pioneer, of course. But uh, you know, the, there's a lot of answers out there for a lot of people that are you know in that corporate model as far as the industrial food complex and having to answer to chemical companies before you can grow or raise anything. And you know, there there's something there. That there's a roadmap. There's there's actually a lot of education. You know, what I like about everything that's going on right now, and, and you're kind of the epitome of this, is just being a small micro farmer rancher. You know, you can do it. It, it Of course, it's hard. <laughs> Life is hard. But, you know, the, the, it's coming up. There's an umbrella uh, umbrella of knowledge that is, is basically starting to take hold. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do with the beef initiative as far as bring all the education you want to the beef initiative. And that's why I'm reaching out to people like you, people like Will, people like Joel and say, help the people are listening. They're ready to, to learn if it's nutrition or if it's learning how to, you know, to approach the soil, if it's how to learn how to, you know, leverage, you know, the animal beyond the protein and the nutrition itself, there is a plethora of knowledge. And so that is present. But what I've approached everything that I've done, I started with the harvest of deception and I went straight to the seed. By saying that, you brought up something the other day that it, it, it's perfect because I come from a part of Texas where it's basically the cotton part. You know, it is the the, the capital of cotton and it, it has a reputation for that. There's a lot of cotton. And um, you brought up a name and I want you to kind of tell a story now about a, a company called Procter and Gamble. Sorry to put you on the spot. <clears throat> so so w- when I when I happened upon this uh, amazing skincare product, you know, and, and, I, and I will say for your listeners, it is it's damn amazing. Uh, <laughs> plug it, it, plug it. It, it is good. Works, it works real good. Um, no, I um, I was under the false pretense that the food industry was what had driven the seed oil prevalence um, in in our food, and so I got to you know I, I, early on in in Pharaoh's. Um, testing i was playing around with a bunch of stuff bath bombs and soaps i was just you know it was like this lard's amazing what can i make out of it and so procter and gamble you know everybody everybody probably knows that company but so in the they, they were a huge manufacturer of soap in the mid 1800s in fact i believe they were commissioned by the um by the by the u.s government to manufacture all the soap 
for the um, Union Army during the Civil War. And all of that soap was made with with animal fats, mostly lard. Uh, They're out of Ohio, I believe, Procter & Gamble. I think that's right. Cincinnati or somewhere around there. Anyway, so they they really blew up as a soap manufacturer. And then post-Civil War, uh, got into candle making, a number of things. But in the late 1800s, the tallow and lard industry started to develop some price-fixing mechanisms and uh, this is about the same time that Procter & Gamble wanted to start making individual bars of soap. Um, for, for the listeners that don't know, most soap used to be made in huge bricks. And then they would sell those bricks to like your local drugstore. And the drugstore would cut it up into individual bars and sell it. And so they, they got together and tried to figure out how to make individual bars of soap, ivory soap. And... At the same time, there was a lot of price fixing going on in the tallow and lard industry. And so they teamed up with a German scientist. This is in the late 1800s, early 1900s to figure out because uh, because cottonseed uh, was becoming, you know, a, a big thing. And they figured out how to this German scientist figured out figured out how to hydrogenate cottonseed oil. So cottonseed oil at room temperature is a liquid. Right. So you inject it, you heat it, and you you inject it with hydrogen, and you do these various things. You basically change the chemical makeup of the oil, but it makes it it makes it. I'm I'm going to say solid, but certainly more viscous at room temperature. And they did this. They did this so that it would work better for soap and candles, because they were a candle company as well. And so it was really more predicated on turning cottonseed oil into something that was solid at room temperature because that's a candle. And so as the, as the late 1800s and early 1900s sort of ebb on, they start dialing up this cottonseed oil, which, uh, you know, we joked before we started recording, Texas was the, is the capital of cotton. And so they ended up acquiring a couple of cotton mills in Texas to, to secure the seed and then secure the oil. And then all of a sudden, uh, electricity starts to become a, a real thing in the in the very early 1900s. And so, as the as the uh, demand, the consumer demand for candles starts to drop, you know, precipitously, and they're sitting on these powder keg fulls of uh, cottonseed oil. They're like, "Well, what in the world can we do with all this cottonseed? You know, we got all this all this money invested and all this this that and the other." And so they uh, they tweaked the recipe a bit and developed Crisco, and this was in the very early 1900s. And you can you can there's a ton of you know if you want to get on the interwebs and look into it, you're you're certainly welcome to. But they basically started a campaign to demonize animal fat, um, and 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 prop up this Crisco. Um, Coincidentally, uh, Crisco is white. It's not naturally white. They, they make it that way because if you've ever seen a jar of lard, which was the prevailing cooking oil of the time, it's white. Sure. And so, um, and you know, I work, I work with a lot of lard these days making these creams. And it's, you know, you can open a can of Crisco and you can open a jar of lard and you can look at them and they look identical. And so there was this massive you know, marketing campaign to demonize animal fats. 
And who had it? Who do you think had that up? I mean, what was? Can you can we trace that back to where that marketing came from? Because of course, marketing is the issue these days with everything that we do. You know, from from what's going on in the world right now, all the way to how they market food. In I'm looking deeply into the marketing practices of in where all this originates from where is this little idea that gets brought up in a marketing department in a in a boardroom say we're gonna we're gonna manipulate the shit out of everybody's understanding of what lard is and what vegetable oil is and we're gonna we're gonna create a whole story that's gonna last for 120 years here so we're talking about the beginning of something that has has led down a path so who who is the marketing who is the idea from that behind that you think? Well, it's hard to say. I'm still doing quite a bit of research on it. I mean, you know, it, it, I would I would say that we could just start with Procter and Gamble. You know, they're a for-profit sure. business and they have a marketing department. And so, uh, one of the uh, one of the things I pulled up was a uh, was a uh, hold on, let me find it. Uh, this was an ad they put together. This is a 1915 ad, uh, Crisco in the Saturday Evening Post. Right. And so let's see. <laughs> I'm going to read this because it's hilarious. Are okay. you in doubt about Crisco? So now, again, you got to think 1915, you know, m- you know, people are cooking with, with lard. Have you <laughs> have you often nearly ordered Crisco but hesitated? Have you frequently wondered whether it is a good it, it is as good as they say it is, but never found out? Have you thought sometimes you would like to try it, but didn't. If so, you are the woman who should consider these sample fa- uh, simple facts. And, uh, you know, the Crisco company, uh, let me zoom in a little bit. For frying, for shortening, for cake making, Crisco makes food more digestible and appetizing than does lard. It is richer and less expensive than butter. It's it stays pure, sweet, and firm as long as you keep it. So they're they're already pitching like shelf life, right? Because you know, Slim. One of the things I used to say to people, and I still say it: if it doesn't spoil, you shouldn't eat it, right? Um, it has won. Here's another one: it has won by its all around excellence a million fast friends among the capable housekeepers of the nation. Your interest in better food for yourself and your family should induce you to try one can today. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I, you know, I, I would tell your listeners, just go Google around at some of the early uh, tobacco ads from like the 1960s and 70s, you know, and they pull in the doctors oh, and they pull in the dentists. And it's, uh, you know, if you're a pregnant woman, you're supposed to smoke menthols because right. menthols <laughs> are better for you. It's um, five of the top doctors recommend Marlboro or Camel or Cool. And most <laughs> of this advertising was pre if you want to think about the FDA as a governing body for <laughs> air quotes, the consumer's ultimate health, forget the revolving door we have today between, you know, Procter and Gamble and uh, Cargill and all these, all these big companies and the FDA, forget that for a minute. But this is, this is really pre government intervention into a lot of marketing and advertising. And that's a good point. It's pre government intervention, you know, and, um, you know, it, 
it's 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 pretty interesting to follow that path that you did from the early 1900s and then in i think you said something about happening in the, the 1960s as far as what was it you brought up was it the cholesterol at that time or the fat fiction because you know more you're pretty in depth with it because where you come from well but yeah how, how yeah. are go ahead well, so we, before we hopped on the call, we sort of talked about, I mean, let, let's, let's just start modern day, right? We've got sure. 40% of the kids in this country are o- obese or morbidly obese. 46. Diabetic, 40, yeah, okay, so yeah. So pre-diabetic or diabetic, adults are just as bad, right? 78%. It, it's, it's, it's abhorrent. And, you know, and we don't need to get into COVID or anything like that, but – you know, some of the struggles that we're having as a, as a, as really as a, as a, as a species, as a global planetary species right now have to do with the prevalence of um, seed oils in, in our food, but also sugar. And, uh, and so in the, in the sixties, uh, you, you, what you saw in the seed oils were already ubiquitous. You know, you had your Crisco's, I mean, it's, it's worse now than it was then, but you had your uh, you had your Crisco's and some of these seed oils, but then you really start to talk about the sugar lobby, and and this is all public information. You can go back and look at. I mean, Coca Cola just flat out paid uh, scientists to sort of fudge some data. You have Ansel Keys. So Ansel Keys was a was a scientist in the I want I forget when his lipid hypothesis came out. I think it was the late '60s or early '70s. And, you know, he did this huge meta study, um, you know, studied like seven or eight different, maybe maybe as many as 10 countries. Um, uh, and, and as it relates to their consumption of saturated fat and their heart health. And he ended up throwing out enough data. Um, in fact, I threw, I think he threw out like four total countries. One of them had a, a, a very high saturated fat uh, prevalence in their diet. To basically come up with this hypothesis, the lipid hypothesis, it's called, where uh, the the consumption of saturated fat uh, leads to heart disease. And so um, I was born in 1974. So this was this was, you know, I I mean, I was fortunate to grow up in a, you know, I had a mom that cooked most of our meals, albeit with various (laughs) Crisco's and and (laughs) all those other things. But we we were cooking a lot of our own meals. But but um so sugar, sugar. So you demonize fat. Okay. And so we go into this low, low fat phase of, of dietary recommendation. This started really with the food pyramid. If you think back to the mid to late seventies, you know, the food pyramid has been around a long time. And if you look at the fundamental foundational side of the food pyramid, it's grains, right? Now I want to, I want to add an interesting, so we've been talking a lot about the FDA, Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of people don't understand this, so I just want to make this point very clear. The food pyramid and the nutritional recommendations for our by our beloved government are issued by the USDA, not the FDA. Okay, so the food pyramid is a byproduct of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, <laughs> not the Department of Health. Not the Food and Drug Administration, Food and Drug Administration. No, no, no. They don't. They don't make dietary guidelines. The U.S. Department of We Grow Corn, Wheat, and Soy. Right. That's that's the USDA. They're the ones that have built the food pyramid. And so, 
So Ansel Keys, you know, we're, we're fat phobic, uh, you know, lipid, the lipid hypothesis, you know, saturated fat leads to heart disease. This starts then. It carries on until, uh, goodness gracious, it was 2012 or 15 that I'm going to look that up while we're while we're talking. Um, the, the USDA, to, to, to summarize it, the USDA reversed completely reversed its dietary opinion of saturated fat within the last eight years. Okay. Now, did that make the front page of the New York times? No. Did it make the cover of time magazine like Ansel keys did? No, it's, it, it got just brushed aside a complete reversal of over 40 years of dietary guidelines overnight. Reversed, reversed. And then where do we sit now? That was eight years ago. What is what has transpired since then? Since they didn't make a major announcement, they weren't going to try to make change. So where we are with the attack on animal protein, let's let's look back at what you said. USDA agricultural is in charge of the food pyramid. Well, there's animal protein on that food pyramid as well. Why are, why is the agricultural department not pushing for animal protein to be the base layer of that? pyramid what is it where are we with that is it that captured by these the global corporations that process our food as far as the four big process why is it not because it's all of this stuff is not about the climate it's not about methane it's not about carbon why is it that the agriculture department is basically working against itself and working against our interests where is that start and where where does it leave this now in in your opinion because you're fighting it on the front lines just with your education of course and then your lifestyle and your your way of living but where do we understand that this is the issue and we need to bring it to light to everybody to talk about because we we've got the receipts you just claim you know ansel keys everything that's been reported with the usda overturning what they look at is saturated fats today in 2022 how are we going to break this type of, I don't know, whatever it is, this understanding, this core belief system about what the issue is, and we have to reinvent and reestablish a new definition where to start? Well, you, you have to remember that the U.S. Department of Agriculture grows a lot of grain. Uh, Good most point. Most of the farm, most of the farm subsidies in this country go to grain production. Ironically, most of the grain production in this country goes to feed cows. Uh, people don't know that, but um, you know, I, I want to say it's just north of fifty percent of our grain production in the U.S. goes to feed cows. Now, you know, if you want a grain finished cow, I'm all for it. It's not, it's not a natural part of their diet. Um, and, you know, most of these feedlots are actually feeding all sorts of junk uh, in addition to grains. But, you know, we're, we're very good at growing grain. Um, if you look at the Corn Belt, you know, the Midwest, which was, you know, the soils there, we can we can. This, God, we got a lot to cover, Slim. Mm -hmm. oh, uh, this, is, this is just an introduction. I, I'm yeah. finding this is going to be a, a long introduction to a longer series of talks. So you just, you talk freely and, you know, we'll, we'll continue to outline here. <laughs> yeah, kinda, well, I mean. It's healthy. Yeah, just, just to bring it back. I mean, the, the USDA grows a lot of grain. 
Okay, so you said something in, in sort of your explanation a minute ago, uh, something around, you know, are they serving their best interests? And if, you're, if your primary function is to grow grain and you have the keys to the castle when it comes to dietary recommendations for the American consumer, well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand why, and I pulled the chart up, why that bread, cereal, rice, and pasta group represents the foundation of your food pyramid. I mean, of course it does, because we're really good at growing it. Oh, and coincidentally, we're spending a lot of money making sure we can grow it. Um, you know, most farmers in this country wouldn't grow corn without subsidies. I mean, they just wouldn't do it. They wouldn't grow soy. They wouldn't grow wheat without the subsidies because it's a, you know, this and this. I, I got to tell you, Slim, I, I'm, a, I'm an infant at a lot of this uh, uh, currency war and various things going on. And I, I know you're a big Bitcoin guy. I am fascinated by the relationship between going off the gold standard back in the 70s and what that's done to our food system, specifically around the commodities market, because that's what we're talking about. Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for this dialogue we're having because I'm going to learn as much from you as I I could ever imagine when it comes to um, the impact that's had on on uh, on our food. Well, and just to, to clarify that, I, a lot of my research has gone back to 1971 when we did go off the, the gold standard. And a lot of these fake commodities, I call them, were introduced into our diets. And so as the dollar lost its value, as we went off the gold standard, anything touching my this is my opinion, and I think it's pretty good opinion, but uh, anything touched in that dollar from then on had to be put into a light of more of a it was a false value but it was marketed to say hey this is this is what you need this is how you're going to get healthy because if you look at pictures and everybody's starting to do that from 1970 you know in the 60s until until now there's been a change you brought up you know our our, our obesity our our um, diabetes our our metabolical failure that we're going through as a nation and 78% is either overweight or obese Alone, one out of two Americans is either diabetic or pre-diabetic. That's not something that you ignore anymore. Half our kids, five to 11, or obese or overweight. There's something going on here. And if you look at that chart, and if you look at the time that we've been off the gold standard and all the fake commodity systems that we've created based into our food supply systems, there is a correlation that cannot be argued with. You have historical data to see how it was manipulated to get there. And you see exactly what they're doing right now with animal protein and the introduction of a whole new fake commodity food system on top of the fake value that started and really picked up steam after 1971. Coincidentally, whenever we started monocropping and but said we're going to go fence to fence you're going to go big or you're going to go home to the farmer and so they had to go big on grain they couldn't have multiple crops anymore they were told what they were going to plant they were basically introduced into the the umbrella of a chemical company which is now bear that owns monsanto and any farmer that is out there that is using these chemicals for pesticides herbicides, or anything like that and i'm not 
talking crap on them. It's just the reality of the situation. They have to sign a technology use agreement. There are so many things that they have to do to rely on subsidies all the way down to USDA insurance whenever you're a rancher. There's a lot of ranchers out there that would not be ranching unless they had USDA insurance. That's another thing that, you know, I haven't even gone into yet and not going to go very deep here today, but there's a lot of different bases of payment of margins of survival that are based on that false value that was created after 1971 with the fiat dollar. That's why Bitcoiners are understanding more about monetary systems, stages of currencies, economies that crashed and because of inflation, deflation, overprinting of money. And so if people really understand that there's a money problem, they better understand that the food problem is just as bad. And that's why we are kind of where we are. You know, I'm not doing what I was going to be doing in life right now, but I have to do this now because people are interested and we have to bring it to light. So if you're not looking at food and money and the, the devaluation of both as far as nutritional value, then you're not paying attention and it doesn't have to be that hard. Like you said, you can do some searches, you can find some stuff. It's not hard anymore. It's out there. And so, you know, that's where I come in. You know, that's why food intelligence is here. You know, that's why we're going to start talking to other people. And, you know, you're bringing a lot of, you know, education to the light. You created a business out of leveraging, you know, hogs. So um, you told us a lot about that in the beginning. Where do you see Pharaoh going? Uh, the awareness of it kind of, you know, kind of un, untap or tapping into that kind of undiscovered knowledge as far as how you, how you're going to leverage this stuff and how you're going to bring, you know, basically better health. Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, thanks for asking. I mean, in, in some ways it's addition by subtraction, right? So we're, we're getting, we're getting the chemicals out of skincare. Um, I, I, I have to, I have to pause and, and, and bring something up. Okay. Uh, that's related to skincare. So sunscreen, sunscreen was introduced to the American consumer in the seventies. And since the, uh, since the introduction of SPF, the prevalence of skin cancer in this country has skyrocketed. Now that's a, that's an oversimplified statement to make. Right. Get you in trouble there. Watch out. Well, uh, <laughs> no, I'm with you. Keep on. I just have to well, be sarcastic. We're, we're going to develop an SPF product at some point. Uh, that does have to go through a few more FDA hoops. But the point is, we're a species that's been living outside exposed to the sun for ever, right? And so uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to bring up some stuff. Okay, obviously we have better diagnostic equipment now than we did. 40, 50 years ago in terms of identifying skin cancer. Okay, fair enough. Um, the uh, the admittance of and ubiquitous use of skincare uh, 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 sunscreen, uh, therefore might promote more outdoor exposure to the sun because you feel a, a sense of protection, right? Okay, fair enough. Um, you can't ignore the prevalence of cancer I, I, again let's what is cancer it is a it is a dysre, dysregulated poorly regulated cell 
right? It's a, it's a cancer. It's not, it's not performing its job appropriately. It becomes cancerous and that's a problem. Well, what are some other things that could cause that? Is it the consumption of sugar? Is it the consumption of seed oils? Is it, you know, you can start sort of lining up all of these other factors. The, the point is, <laughs> you go to the drugstore now, and I mean, hell, they got, they got SPF 70, you know, so the, the S the sun protection factor has gone up exponentially <laughs> in the last 50 years. And yet our, our prevalence of skin cancer has also gone up. So that doesn't, that doesn't jive with me. Um, I mean, what, what, so what's Pharaoh up to? Well, I mean, we're, we're a small company right now. Um, I, at its heart, I want to give, I mean, you know, I have young kids, right? And um, at its heart, I want to give people a, a product that uh, isn't full of junk and uh, coincidentally is, is biologically aligned with human, human genetics. Uh, pig, pigs, you know, lard is one of our um, biggest ingredients. We have tallow, we have leaf lard as well. But the pig genetically is is a spot on match to humans. I, for for your listeners that don't understand, I mean, pigs and humans are so genetically similar; it's 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 almost laughable. Um, which means that pigs metabolize. You know, in skincare, the magic three vitamins you're looking for are A, E, and D. Right? Well, pigs metabolize all three of those vitamins the exact same way humans do, and so how do they do that? Well, they do it by growing up in a healthy, happy environment, like where pigs can be pigs. Um, uh, to, to quote my, my friend, Joel Salatin, I, I respect the pigness of the pig. And so <laughs> I'll, I allow those pigs to live a life that is, um, that is, uh, happy, healthy, uh, you know, fresh water, fresh pasture, uh, plenty of things to root around and have fun with. And, and, and in doing so, I am chalking their fat full of the vitamins and minerals that our skin craves. Um, when you start talking about skincare, pH is a big deal. Um, you know, our skin has a has a pH. It's uh, you know six point eight, I think. It's 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 right there near neutral. But um, you know, and th- and this speaks to a lot of the chemicals that they have to sort of. So you throw some chemicals into skincare to uh, keep it from going rancid. Right to give it a, 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 an indefinite shelf life. Well, when you do that, you're throwing the pH off of said <laughs> of the said cream. So then you got to throw some more chemicals in there to balance the pH out because it's got to you know you don't want it to irritate the skin. And so we have a naturally uh, pH balanced, a naturally vitamin enriched. You know, most skincare products it's all synthetic vitamins. And um, you know, I can't make medical claims. I, I, I've learned, I've spoken to enough attorneys at this point, but you know, Slim, I've sent samples of this stuff out all over the country. I mean, it's been to Hawaii, Alaska. Uh, I've got a friend in Knoxville, Tennessee, whose daughter, I just saw him a couple of weeks ago, his daughter, bust her heart. She's got this eczema that's all over. And, you know, I sent it to him and, you know, lo and behold, she feels better. And the eczema's looking better. She's, she's at least got relief from it. And I get emails and texts, you know, chelitis, psoriasis, eczema. I know it, I know it works on sunburn. I can tell you that because I've experimented with that myself. And so just giving people a product that's, um, that's, I, I hate to say the term, but it's all natural. You know, that, that term has been so 
corrupted, co-opted now. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, and and then and then backing up further, I, you know, at the heart, at my heart, I'm a regenerative farmer. Now you're you're a predominantly a beef guy. I love beef. Pigs are my favorite animal. Um, now pigs, you know, from a from an agricultural standpoint, do they do uh, they don't create a problem per se, but they're they're an interesting animal because they do have you have to feed pigs. Now cows, you know, you can give them, you know, grasses. Grass is all they need, you know, uh, and a, a wide variety of grasses and legumes. And I've seen a cow eat the most wild things. But um, but but pigs, you got to raise food for. I mean, if you're going to grow them at scale. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here going, well, we're really good at growing corn and wheat and soy. Um, I feed a soy free ration to my pigs, but we're good at growing these things. Great. Let's figure out a better way to grow them. Let's stop dumping so much grain into feeding cattle. Let's stop dumping any corn into making ethanol. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And, and, um, and here's this amazing animal that's, I mean, a pig is, they're smart, um, you know, you can finish a pig, you know, uh, birth to market weight on a pig is about, you know, anywhere from seven to nine months. You know, if you're going to grass finish a cow, uh, you're looking at, you know, two years, you know, to really do it right, to pack on the fat sure. and sometimes longer. And so, um, you know, what are we doing with Pharaoh? Ultimately, we're giving we're trying to give people a product that is clean, that is um, that is effective uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time it works. You know, you may not you may not like the essential oil blend that I'm using to to give it a, a, a nice aroma, but you can't argue that it doesn't work. <laughs> and, and and then on the back end of that, behind behind the curtain, I'm promoting regenerative agriculture. Pigs are amazing. You know, especially we we can touch back on this. You were talking about Will Harris earlier. You know, one of the things that Will's doing this absolutely. Amazing is this multi-speciation approach to raising food. It's not cows. It's not pigs. It's not chicken. You know, it's not a house of chickens over here and a house of pigs over here and a feedlot over here. It's all these animals. There's a really good video for your um, for your listeners to look up. I think it's called A Million Beating Hearts. If you just Googled, went to YouTube, I think it's A Million Beating Hearts uh, white oak pastures. If you looked at it, they did this really cool video of all the different species that he's raising on this same land. And if you look at natural systems, you know, a natural system is how we built the corn belt, right? It was grazing bison followed by migratory birds just all the time for years and millennia and millennia, building up that organic matter, building up that topsoil. And you know, that's probably another podcast for another day. But I mean, we have a topsoil problem, a global topsoil problem in this country. You said earlier, you know, fence line to fence line. Right. So when we when we scaled up all this monocrop grain agriculture, they immediately extended the field all the way to the edges. Right. My uh, my grandfather actually won some awards at, uh, from the state. This is, I, I can go find the pictures and go find the, the plaques. Um, you know, we were a dairy farm and, you know, the dairy was, had, I, I have memories of the dairy farm when I was a young child. 
uh, and it was awesome. But at that point, it was really more of a show farm, and we, we weren't milking our cows to supply the dairy. It was really more of just, hey, folks, come check out Mayfield Dairy. But we were, you know, at the time, we had these dairy cows that we had to support and feed through the winter. And so he was growing grains in all of our fields, but he won awards because he would put, you know, 10 and 20 foot uh, grass easements through the field to eliminate erosion or at least limit erosion. You know, for those that don't know, when you when you plant corn, you basically get rid of everything, put the corn seed in the ground. And so you got all this exposed you know, dirt. Well, when it rains, it washes all that away. You don't have the, you don't have the root structure of, of a normal pasture. And so he, he actually won a bunch of awards for doing his part to try and mitigate erosion and soil degradation. And that, that, that was in the sixties. And, you know, if you go to our farm today, we've got a guy that's, that's, uh, I mean, we lease most of the farm to a, to a grain and hay guy, and it's it's fence row to fence row again. <laughs> yeah. And so, man, we're going to have to look through the show notes when we're done and, and, and cherry well, pick some topics for the next. Uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're building an outline, like I said. I mean, it's <laughs> going to be a fascinating outline because we're going somewhere. And it, it's really cool how this networking effect starts taking a place, you know, you know, meeting you, you know, whenever I went out and introduced myself to my local um rancher justin you know i've had him on a couple of times podcasts and if you listen to my podcast you can go back there and listen to justin because he has news and uh i'm going to talk to him on sunday but i got news from him yesterday and he you know he he's in texas he's he's opening up a small processing center in the state of texas he's going to do about probably 30 head a week is what they're shooting for. So it's perfect for the local community. You know, he wants to feed people within a 60 mile radius. Well, he'd gone through the the inspection process in the state of Texas to open up that processing center. Well, we uncovered a lot of stuff about processing, getting a processing center up and running in the state of Texas. And yesterday, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, he reached out to me, and he, he actually passed his inspection in the state of Texas. And one thing that was really cool about this is that, you know, one of the, I'll just say a very big inspector came to that inspection from the state of Texas. He said that Justin had done it right. He said that he is a champion to have small microprocessing centers all across the state of Texas. In talking with Justin this this whole year that me and him have done, we had kind of projected out there that there's going to be a processing center, what we're shooting for in every county across the state of Texas. Well, he just pioneered kind of a new system, and I think that we're going to be able to leverage that. And we're going to be able to start helping people within the processing industry across the United States, but especially starting here in Texas first. And so you, you know, you, you give me a lot of good information about there about processing. You deal with it, you know, every week, everything. Um, by knowing that Justin basically just, you know, passed his inspection and you brought up soil, I think we're going to have, a, you know, a really good second follow-up podcast. And what I'll, I'll do is at some point in time, get you and Justin together and you guys can kind of talk, you know, 
basically he he is he's got a species of hog that's fascinating i think it comes from new zealand so you guys are going to love talking about pigs but uh (laughs) one thing i want to do is start bringing you guys together so the ranchers can start talking and you guys can start sharing information to see if there's anything that can help you out it's it's kind of my way of like getting people from texas and tennessee to start talking to each other kind of like a george Strait song or something like that so um we've we've got a lot of discussion ahead of us and um you know this is going to be exciting and i want to i want to um thank you for networking me in the way that you have been doing this you know the beef initiative is just getting started our platform's coming out it's going to be a it's going to be a fun ride we're going to have four conferences and you and i are talking about one in tennessee so you know saying everything that we said today tell everybody again kind of how we can get a hold of you how we can start following you and basically get some education but also help you out in everything that you're doing yeah, Slim, I appreciate it. I, I am I am a social media Luddite. However, <laughs> uh, so the, the website for Pharaoh is pharaoh.life. Uh, I do have an Instagram page, Project Pharaoh. Uh, I, 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 I guess I need to start posting there a, a bit more. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, but, I, you know, the, the, the website's probably the best. Um, if they've got questions, there's a, there's a contact form there. If it, I, I mean, I'm happy to hop on a phone call or email or whatever. Uh, we are, we are just getting started, uh, with Pharaoh. So it's, it's very exciting. And, you know, Slim, the, the thing that I, I just have to tell you how, what an honor it is to be here. Um, you know, I, I've got my own little bubble over here. You know, I've been in this regenerative ag sort of paleo space for a while. And, you know, the thing that's the most exciting about what you're doing is we're, we, we, we've all got our bubbles, but everybody eats food and everybody deserves deserves the right to access healthy food. Uh, animal protein is at the top of that list. And so I'm most excited about bringing my bubble and your bubble together. And let's bring in another couple bubbles and get, you know, get a lot of these other channels you know, interconnected and, and, and having a dialogue because that's that's really the way we're going to get get through this and, and, and promote it is by is by educating everybody that we can. And so um, but, yes, I, I, I certainly appreciate the question. Uh, we're 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 just getting Pharaoh off the ground. So be patient with us. But if you order it, I, I promise I will get it shipped to you. Um, it's uh, and it's fun stuff. And I'm sure we'll talk well before then but if you if you got a hanker and come to paleo fx and uh in austin and uh end of, end of april early may I'll, I'll be there for sure and that's another thing you go to a lot of conferences and what we'll do next time as well is to start talking about some conferences because we're going to be talking soon again you know kind of 2022 is a very important year when it comes to everything that we just spoke of the last whatever it was hour and 15 minutes one thing people need to understand that right now with how everything is within our food system within our economy with covid everything it is more important than ever to take a step back look at your life and kind of ask yourself why do you desire what you desire and be okay with answering that question and being okay with doing some new education we're all educated. We're all smart. Well, let's 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 revisit kind of what we know, why we know it, why we believe what we do about food, 
about leverage of the animal itself, about leveraging, you know, the earth like as we do. Let's revisit some things because we're going to be bringing a lot of education, a lot of food intelligence and a lot of a lot of things that will be able to help you uh probably change your lifestyle in a way that's going to bring some more health and happiness to you. So I appreciate you, Charles. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I appreciate everybody else for listening. This podcast will start growing. We're going to get some big, bigger names than me. So uh, we already have one here. His name is Charles Mayfield. Thank you, Charles. Come on. Come on. Thanks, Lou. <laughs> All right. You take care, bud. Here at the Beef Initiative, we encourage all your ranchers out there to tell us who and where you are so we can let everybody know they're looking for you. This time I'm shouting out KNC Cattle out of Austin, Texas. KNCCattle.com. Cole, he's a fourth generational Texas rancher. He knows what he's doing. <laughs>